out there flaking and perpetrating the scared to kick reality. Man, you've been doing all this dope producing. You ain't had a chance to show them what time it is. So what you want me to do? I'm expressing with my full capabilities. And now I'm living in correctional facilities. Because some don't agree with how I do this. I get straight and meditate like a Buddhist. I'm dropping flavor. My behavior is hereditary. Welcome to The Streets Are Planning. This is your host, Jay Ruffin, and I am glad to be with you today. Listen, we have an amazing guest on the show today. Uh, someone who I really admire and respect. We've... Uh, We've been sending messages back and forth through social media and then supporting each other for quite some time. And I'm just glad to have him on this show to talk to you all today um, about what he's been up to and what he's going to be up to in 2021. Um, so without further ado, I'm gonna uh, introduce you to one of Bull Heights' finest. Uh, good sir, please introduce yourself to the Streets of Planet family. Jay Ruffin, thank you for having me on The Streets Are Planning. I love this podcast. I've been listening for a long time. So thank you so much. My name is Jonathan Pacheco Bell. I've been a practicing urban planner for 14 years in Los Angeles. I was born in Boyle Heights and raised in both East LA and the city of Montebello. And the vast majority of my planning practice has been in South Central LA. Now, you know, Coming from where you come from, man, I mean, there's a there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of visibility on conversation around gentrification and what's happening. And a lot of the work that you've been doing, um, you know, you approach planning in a different way than traditional planners do in a way that I think can be a, an antidote, so to speak, for gentrification and the things that are happening in black and brown communities across the country. And your approach, uh, embedded planning, is something that I have long admired and I'm so glad uh, that you're on the show so you can really give folks who may not have heard about the type of planning that you have been championing for some time, um, you know, bring, bring light to that because I think it's extremely important for folks to, to understand that there are more theories out there than what we've been given in a lot of our planning courses. And so um, please tell the folks about uh, the embedded planning practice and why it's so important to you. Thank you, Jay. You know, this is, this is the first time that I get to come on a podcast with this kind of reach to talk about embedded planning. I've written about it. I've spoken about it in, in university classrooms, high school classrooms and conferences. I've spread the word in other places and spaces, but this is the first time I can, I can do it on a podcast. And, and I just love the fact that it's with our fellow activist planners that are part of the streets are planning community. So um, with that in mind, I wanna, I wanna share what embedded planning is and, and how I got there. So um, I'm the creator of embedded planning. It is a praxis that situates the work of planners on the streets, not behind a desk. And I came to the realization of the importance of embedded planning um, it's something that started way back when I was, um, you know, a, a, a street level graffiti writer. I mean, the, the DNA of this praxis goes way back to, to the late eight, late eighties and early nineties. Um, being a street level graffiti writer, you know, producing art on the ground, producing culture on the ground and, and interacting at the street level that carried through to my education from um, you know, architecture to political science and undergrad into urban planning in graduate school. I went to UCLA urban planning and I studied under some legendary urban planning professors who taught the importance of praxis, taking ideas and theories and putting them into action to make positive transformation change in our community. And two of them I wanna uplift right now are Edward Soja and Jackie Levitt. Um, they're no longer with us but their influence and the, you know, the discussions we had in their classrooms about activist praxis is all part of the DNA of embedded planning. After I graduated in 2005, I went out and started in the working world 2006 at LA County Department of Regional Planning. And one of the, the, the beautiful things that, that you can do as an LA County Regional Planner is work on the street level. And that is because the county has planners out there in the community to enforce and implement the code. It's usually done you know, through code enforcement officers, building inspectors in most cities and counties, but LA County actually has planners out there. 
And it was done um, because eventually, after you know decades and decades of enforcing codes, the county realized it was just easier for the, the planners to go out there and do it because they could better explain what the hell these zoning codes are and how they, how they matter, right? So back in the 70s, the county changed over from zoning enforcement agents to planners who enforce the code. So, you know, fast forward to 2006, 2007, I'm a street level planner and, and I started working in South Central LA, uh, a community that has certainly seen its share of poor planning practice, disinvestment, redlining, um, racist and classist land use policies. Specifically, I was working in the community of Florence Firestone for many, many years, the community right next to Watts, but a community that, that is often overlooked by, by historians and misunderstood. People oftentimes don't even know that they live in, in an unincorporated county community called Florence Firestone. I was on the ground for years implementing the code. People in Florence Firestone didn't need uh, some kind of quasi-cop zoning enforcement planner. They didn't need extra policing. They needed services. They needed connections. They needed to understand what is planning and why it was important to be uh, involved in the planning process. So, you know, I was out there as a zoning enforcement planner and I was dealing with violations, but at the same time I was bringing planning information and knowledge directly to the people and I was helping them solve problems on the ground, right? After doing this for a couple of years, I, I realized that I, I was doing a new form of planning. You know, I was, you know, I, I had a job title that said I was an enforcer, but I was really a resource. And I was out there demystifying what planning is. So I would turn those occasions of knocking on people's doors to talk about zoning violations into building bridges and bringing people in. Um, originally, I called it boots on the ground planning just to kind of give it a name. And uh, I was uh, talking with uh, someone who is now my frequent collaborator named Mike the Poet, Mike Songson. He's a local writer, historian, poet, educator here in LA. It's back in 2015. I mentioned this boots on the ground planning to him. And he put it in one of his articles. And when I read it in the article about South Central and planning, I said, that's the wrong, that's the wrong optic. Boots on the ground sounds like a war reference, right? It has war imagery. So I quickly started thinking, it needs a better name. It needs, it needs better recognition as planning. Um, so, you know, I thought, well, what are the existing theories? There's advocacy planning that I, that I was inspired by. There's equity planning. There's insurgent planning. There's radical planning. And then, of course, there's the, the, the thing that I was pushing against, which was, you know, rational planning, modernist planning, very top-down and bureaucratic and not based on the streets. And I thought to myself, well, what is it that I'm doing? I'm, I'm embedded in the neighborhood. I'm part of the neighborhood. I'm doing embedded type of work. I'm an embedded planner. Light bulb goes off, embedded planning. The definition um, that I would give it is embedded planning is a praxis that situates the work of planners on the ground in the neighborhoods that they work in and away from the desk you are based in the streets. The neighborhood is your office. And you do this to earn trust, to build relationships, to understand the people's needs as, as community members, um, and to be better informed about what's happening on the ground. With all that street knowledge, you're able to do your planning work so much better informed. You're able to create better policies, programs, practices, ordinances, and ultimately you're able to advance equity on the streets. So, you know, that, that brings me to one, I, I love the fact that you call this a, a, a praxis and not a theory. And, and to those who are hearing this, it's, it's a praxis is essentially an idea that's put into action. Um, it's not just talked about or theorized or, you know, we're sitting around writing white papers and research papers. All of that is important. Don't get me wrong. But there, there comes a time where you have to value putting our ideas into action. And so when you, when you started, uh, you know, when I started hearing about embedded planning, um, you know, there was an, an AP article 
you know, that, that you had written um, and was lifted up. And I was like, wow, this, this guy is on to something. This is something that, you know, I had always thought about myself. How could we make this a, a practice in planning? Um, and that was be that was before I got my official planning degree from the University of Michigan. Uh, but you know, I was doing that type of on the ground uh, work in Benton Harbor and Saginaw and Flint and all these different places here in the state of Michigan. And I just couldn't figure out, you know, why no one else was thinking this way. And what it led me to to realize after uh, you know having an opportunity to read your your Medium article, which we'll we'll get a chance to get to here in a second, but it led me to this thought process of that there are a lot of folks who don't have a lived experience that that we do. And so could you talk about that, how important that lived experience is to the foundation of embedded planning and bringing that to your work? Lived experience is something that planners often just don't know enough about in their planning work. And I don't critique the planners individually. I critique the planning enterprise that situates us in an office behind a desk and detached from the communities that we serve. The orthodox approach to planning has us going out into the field and being on the streets as the exception to the rule. Community meetings and, and you know uh, any kind of events where you're out there is usually the minority of your time. The vast majority of, of work as, as planners has been done in an office. And you know what, Jermaine, it continues to this day and work from home. It continues to this day. It hasn't changed in the pandemic. With that as part of the orthodoxy of planning, the planners simply cannot know the lived experience as best as they could if they were more so based on the streets. Now, many of us come up from neighborhoods where you know, we understand struggle because we grew up in it. Um, and and that's, that's one advantage that we have as planners if, if you come from those streets and you return to those streets to want to advocate and do right by the communities that you came from and communities like yours. But there are many other planners who come from other neighborhoods or maybe other socioeconomic backgrounds that are allies and they may not know that existence and that experience, but they, they're, you know, they're allies and they want to do right alongside you. One way you can do that is by being more so based on the streets and not in an office, right? So this is where embedded planning comes in. You can be an embedded planner having that intimate knowledge of lived experience, but you can also be an embedded planner and learn that lived experience by being on the street level. It's important because if you understand where people are coming from, if you understand their struggles, their needs, their dreams, you understand what communities really need, right? Like you, you, you have the bigger picture in mind informed by the realities of everyday life instead of the detachment that currently exists with looking at reports and, and you know, digesting um, statistics and write-ups about a neighborhood. Think about how much more intimately you would know the people that you serve if you were on the street level with them. So lived experience is something that is, is part of the, the work as planners. We need to know it. We need to know it better. It will certainly inform our work better if we understand what's going on on the ground. And I think embedded planning is a way to go for planners out there to understand the lived experience of our community members and know what they actually need, what programs, what policies, what zoning ordinances, what community plans, you name it, the better you are situated with the proximate relationship to the people, the better you will plan for those people. Absolutely. <laughs> I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I think, I think the, the piece that, you know, resonates with me um, from, from, you know, from what you were just talking about is it can, you can learn what an embedded, you know, through an embedded uh, planning lens, you can learn what that lived experience is like for folks. And I think a, a lot of planners are, are disconnected, um, in, in a, especially in a lot of our major cities. They're disconnected in that way, as you said, because we're, uh, folks are planning from their desk. They're not out in the community and being active. And so when you can go out and you can be in a neighborhood 
whether you live there or you're there frequently, and un really truly understand and, and don't sympathize, empathize with folks, right? Really understand where they're coming exactly. from. It brings a different voice. It brings a different light to your work and you can be a different voice in a way where you are, are now an advocate and ambassador for these neighborhoods as opposed to the person who you know, may see themselves as the, the person who diagnoses the issue and fixes that issue. It's not a, you, you can't prescribe this stuff. You gotta, you can't prescribe it from your desk and say, this is what needs to happen. You actually gotta really understand at a ground level what's had taken place in each of these neighborhoods because they each have a unique, char unique characteristics to them, unique demographics to them and, and a spirit and a soul that you can only understand if you're going door to door. You can only understand if you're at that cookout in the summer that you know other folks aren't invited to, right? Like it's like, nah, you work for the city, you don't need to be here. No, I'm I'm here because I'm your neighbor. I'm here because I'm your friend, and I'm somebody who is in a position of influence or in a position to advocate on your behalf better and translate information uh, from my my government day job uh, into Jermaine in the community. Like, yo, Jay, what up, man? Listen, I heard this this community meeting is coming up. So, so in your experience, is that something that um, you've experienced and really kind of uh, grown fond of over these years of like having people be able to not only just identify you from your, your, your day job, but being able to, to identify you as, you know, Jonathan from up the block? Man, I miss cookouts in the pandemic. <laughs> I miss them too, bro. <laughs> I, because embedded planning is what got me there you know, with being on the ground as an embedded planner in South Central, that's how I was able to develop relationships with community members in areas that were for too long historically marginalized by government. With embedded planning, I, I was there working on the streets and, and their, their community was my office. So you know, I, I had to develop relationships and I had to make connections with people. And I knew I started to get to that level of, of honorary kind of community member and, and trusted community partner when I was getting invited to things like cookouts, like you said, right? So, you know, going beyond just the, the nine to five day job of, of, of the uh, government's work, but also being invited to cookouts, birthday parties, weddings, quinceañeras. That was something that uh, was a regular kind of facet of working in Florence Firestone and Willowbrook in West Rancho and East Rancho Dominguez and West Athens in, um, in all of the communities in, in unincorporated South Central LA where I had started my career at LA County. When you go to those, those events, when you're part of the community life, you know, there, there's, there's the informality of it. It's nice. You can kind of relax a little bit, but you also learn a lot about what's going on. So in, in those informal conversations, you can also start to pick up on people's needs. You know, those, those kind of conversations might be where you hear that some community members are in need of other services, and it may not be within the planning realm, but you as a planner understand all the, the meandering kind of pathways of government, and you can say, oh, hey, you know what? I think I can help you with that because I know how to connect you to somebody in a different department as one example, right? Or you can use those moments when people are a little bit more relaxed and if they are interested to talk about a planning issue that isn't so intimidating because you're not in some stuffy town hall. That is done through embedded planning for sure. It's, um, it's something that I can vouch for and say that uh, that was part of my existence as an LA County regional planner for over 13 years. And it continued on into my more recent work. I've had some career changes that we can certainly talk about, um, but I can tell you that it, it didn't change with the change of my employer. Those kind of proximate experiences are one of the many benefits of being an embedded planner. And, and you know, one of the other benefits is, is creating connection um, in places that folks might not exactly look to make connections when it comes to urban planning, which is one of the connections that you've made, and, and I think this is super cool because we need one here in the city of Detroit, knock on wood, hopefully I can, I can make that happen. Um, but to have a, a high school um, that is centered around urban planning and community organization, uh, like Estebani Torres High School, like, listen, that, 
the, when I read the uh, the article that you wrote and about how you connected with them because you came from that neighborhood, you were able to walk into these classrooms and identify immediately with with the future um, of what urban planning can be of these these kids who are you know might not uh, uh, get access to a lot of the resources and things that you know that they deserve, but they have access to people like yourself who can come in and say, hey, listen, I I come from where you come from. And here's what I've learned since I've been away. And here's what you can do in the future uh, is an amazing thing. So can you kind of talk about that experience? And, and before you do, you, you, you mentioned something that I just want to raise up before we hop in. I just I got to say this right now. I'm taking a little liberties, uh, which is 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 your work as a graffiti artist started, you know, when you were very young and progressed into your high school years. And so, you know, for for those folks who don't realize the connection uh, with graffiti to hip hop. I just got to just drop this knowledge on you really quickly because I, I realized I hadn't done it in season one. Is that in hip hop there are a lot of there are a few elements. Okay, um, folks say four, some folks say five. I say five. Okay, there's there's the the MCing, there's DJing, there's breakdancing, there's graffiti, and then there's that last piece which is is knowledge, which is knowledge of the history of hip hop, knowledge of of consciousness of your community, of your neighborhood. And when you do your emceeing or when you do your DJing or breakdancing or graffiti, you're raising up the issues of the day through your medium. And so for you, you were doing that at a very young age in high school of raising up these issues and, and doing your tags and you're out with your crew and all of these different types of things. And now kids that, that are, are your age when you started this, you're impacting them in, in a way that is just so important. So I just, I wanted to just mention that to the, to the folks, but could you talk about that work with high school students, how you got involved in it, and um, you know, where you see that moving forward? Thank you, Jay. I, I love talking about East LA Renaissance Academy. Um, that could be a whole nother episode on, on its own. There, there's, there's a lot of people that I, I, I have to thank for bringing me in. Um, first of all, Anna Tenorio, and Scott Cody, the two teachers that saw the, the, the direct benefits and connection to my work and their students at East LA Renaissance Academy. Also, public matters, a, a civic engagement um, design planning studio here in LA. They uh, are a longtime lead on the curriculum there, and they saw the benefit of bringing in an embedded planner. And of course, bringing it back to my longtime collaborator, Mike the Poet Songson. We've done a lot of collaborations in the space of those classrooms. Um, so I, I, I couldn't talk about this without giving proper respects to everyone who's been a part of it. And I also wanna say that graffiti and my work as uh, first a tagger and a writer and a muralist, you know, I had some evolutions. Uh, you kind of graduate from being a tagger to a muralist. All of that comes into play with the autobiographical education that I provide to the students at, at East LA Renaissance Academy. So real quick, um, it is a public school. It is not a charter. This is Esteban Torres High School in East LA, neighborhood I grew up in. There are a couple academies within it. So there's a STEM school, there's a fine arts school, and there's an urban planning school, only one of three in the nation. The reason why it came about is because uh, the teachers the public school teachers, UTLA labor union backed public teachers, again, not a charter and not, a, not, a, not driven by any kind of outside wealth. These are public school teachers that came together and they realized that the formation of an urban planning school within Esteban Torres High School would be a fantastic way to get these kids aware of the issue of planning that has so so much impacted the East LA community. You think about the freeways that cut through East LA. You think about the um, environmental racism of siting industrial sites next to residential. You think about the history of the Chicano blowouts and strikes and just so much of the activism. All of that has planning connections. So the teachers came together and proposed and, and got approved at urban planning school at a public high school in East LA. And I love it. Um, they have an open door for any other kind of planners who want to come in and educate the future generations of, of planning. 
So I was brought in as kind of a speaker in practice to talk about my work. I was then at the LA County Department of Regional Planning. And I used it as a time to not only talk about planning and talk about you know, the work that we did um, at the county, because it was the planning department for the same neighborhood as an unincorporated neighborhood, which East LA is. So, you know, I talked about the day job, of course, but I also talked about embedded planning. I gave these students a preview of what it could be like if you were a planner on the ground. I showed them what I was doing in South Central, a neighborhood that is not too far away and has some very direct connections in terms of the challenges East LA and South Central have faced. So, you know, I did that sometimes by myself. I brought in other speakers. Um, we did workshops and um, all of that was also part of my way of telling them my story, my autobiography. It was important for them to see a planner that came from the same streets, their neighborhood. I look like them, I talk like them. Um, you know, we share, we share stories, we share histories. Um, it was important for them to see that if I could do it, you could do it. And it was also important for them to, to, to know my very indirect route. You know, I, I barely graduated high school, Jay. I was a, 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 a very sort of mid-range to, to, to bottom-range student. And one of the reasons why I stayed in, I was able to graduate is because I had an architecture program at Montebello High School that kept me from dropping out. Architecture is eventually what got me to planning. So I told them that story. Along the way, I told them about being a graffiti writer right? Being on the ground as a 16-year-old, the same age as them, traveling throughout Los Angeles on what was then called the RTD, the old bus line, now it's called Metro. Traveling throughout the city, learning the geography, seeing the transformation of, you know, suburbanscape to cityscape, um, seeing all of the working class people out there, right, on, on the streets as I was cutting through the city on the bus lines, getting off, spray painting, doing murals, getting back on the bus, crossing through police jurisdictions, Montebello police, East LA sheriff, LAPD. You gotta know who you're gonna run from, right? So all these things are, are lessons in my early origins of understanding the streets and understanding urbanism. All of that autobiography gets put into the guest lectures that I do at East LA Renaissance Academy. And it's so much more powerful for these students to hear that and how that connects to what I do as an embedded planner, then, you know, looking at some static specific plan from another city that has no connection to their daily lives. I want to uplift this for all the planners in LA that are listening and all the planners out there that have access to high school students. If you're a planner in LA, I want to bring you into the classrooms at Ilara, East LA Renaissance Academy. And if you're a planner in other cities, I want you to reach out and find those classrooms that have an interest in urbanism and cities and start making connections with the faculty and bring your work to teach the next generation of planners like I've been doing at East LA Renaissance Academy. It is enriching and, and you learn as much from them as they learn from you. Absolutely, and, it, and representation matters, right? Um, being able to, to see somebody from the neighborhood, come back and and give back, um, you know. And this is not a knock on on what typically happens, but you know, you see athletes come back all the time. We put on workshops and do all those things and all of that, and that's wonderful. But but for on the ground impact type work, if you're doing it and you're representing this community, they need to see you. They need to be able to put eyes on you, you know, shake your hand or 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 touch you and say, hey, man. I want to be like you, or I want to know more of what you know. Share it with me. It's extremely important for this next wave and in the future of, of planning because we know what our community, the, the, the absence of resources and the absence of, of action uh, in our neighborhoods have looked like for years. And now we're in a position to do something about it. So I agree with you. We, we got to make sure that if, if you are, if you have those types of contacts with, with youth, that you're you're taking advantage of that opportunity to share them share with them your story, uh, or or lift them up and lift our profession up in in, in the opportunity of what they could do when they 
decide what their professional aspirations are going to be. Yes, indeed. This is one more way of demystifying what planning is. So I saw um, that we were talking about this in our, in our community on Instagram this week. There was a meme that was uh, created by Mr. Florida Boy, one of our homies out there, and it was reshared on Urban Planning Life. Yes, sir. Yep, the, the le- <laughs> we got we to gotta give shout outs and, and mad respect. There was a meme that I recommend everyone go on. Uh, it's on Urban Planning Life. Um, and it, and it's, it's basically this, uh, oh, you're a planner. What kind of planner, media planner, wedding planner, partying planner part. There's so many different versions of planner that people will ask you about until you finally say, I'm actually an urban planner. And this is something that I've contended with over and over the years. Um, I don't get mad. This is a problem of the planning profession. We need to demystify what the hell we are. We need to make it so that people don't go to wedding planner first. Instead, they go to urban planner first, right? So when I go to Ilara and when our colleagues out there go to their high school classrooms and start talking about urban planning, we start planting the seeds into the next generation so that the next generation will know planning is not only wedding planning and party planning and media planning, all the different plannings I heard, but it is urban planning. That's how we demystify it, right? We, we, we go out there, and this is another form of embedded planning, embedding yourself in the classrooms, being on the street level in that sense, and, and explaining what the hell it is that we do as urban planners. Absolutely, and I, I think one of the other things that when I think of, urban, of, of embedded planning um, is you know, this ability to really have an eye on the, the traumas that are impacting people on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, we're, we're to, to some folks, curb cuts are important. Some folks, uh, enforcement of zoning is important. Um, but in your everyday life, those are not things that are high priorities for you. Um, what's high priority for a lot of our communities is being able to make it to the next day. Um, and, and it's a stark reality that a lot of communities deal with. And I think Embedded planning has a has a way of being almost like uh, tre- treating urban planning and those of us who are in the profession similar to how uh, social work behaves, but for but for the environment as a neighborhood as a whole, as opposed to treating individuals, because the collective is extremely important. And if we are creating a built environment that creates healthy, happy people, um, we're impacting we're impacting them just as much. If we can you know, reduce the harm of environmental uh, uh, injustices that are taking place, that creates a, a healthy and happy community. If we're ensuring uh, you know, that we are having transportation that is reliable, that runs steadily, that all of these things impact the health of a community in a way that I think embedded planning is, is perfectly situated to be able to, to not only identify early or when issues arise early, uh, but be able to impact in a way that translates the 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 policy and and you know the conversation that might be happening at City Hall into a way to say like whoa 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 guys this is what the community is really saying and thinking and here's what they need so I, I just want to tip my hat to that too and I think that folks who are hearing this for the first time about embedded planning there's a lot of uh, Jonathan has has works. Uh, or, or medium with APA um, and, and his work that we're going to talk about here shortly moving forward, where you have an opportunity to reach out to him, uh, to ask him additional questions about, you know, his his embedded planning practice and how it can be pra- uh, practical in assisting you in your day-to-day work wherever you may live. Um, so, Jonathan, listen, your, your career arc has been, um, you know, one where it seems like it, the, the theme is growth. Um, in each stage of where you've been in your career, um, I could say starting off with with LA County, um, one, LA County just seems like, wow, man, that is this huge, one of the largest uh, counties and cities in, in the country, uh, very, you know, diverse, and, and you have all types of issues and things that, you know, you could latch on to um, out there if you're, if you're an urban planner and get involved in. So in your work, when you started off, kind of what was the, the, your area of focus and zone? You said it was zoning, but did you go in thinking like, man, I'm going to go in, I'm going to focus on transportation, and, and you kind of 
slid over into zoning and slid over into embedded planning? Have you had a, a area of concentration or focus that you prioritized over any other? Damn, man, I think I got to go back about 13, 14 years now to start thinking. So, <laughs> when I graduated, uh, I graduated 2005 uh, at a time when there were a lot of urban planning jobs. At the time, um, many of the folks that were in the public sector had moved over to the private sector and it created this vacuum. So there was this, this just explosion of openings in the public sector, especially at the county. Uh, LA County is a, like you said, a vast jurisdiction. The, the County Department of Regional Planning where I worked had the jurisdiction of all of the unincorporated areas. So that means any part of LA County that's not a city. We have 88 cities within the county, but then we have vast unincorporated areas that go from small blocks to the, you know, like almost the entire high desert to every other geography imaginable. So there were 2,600 square miles of unincorporated territory that I could have worked in when I joined there. Uh, originally, I started working out in one of the Eastern suburbs and it was certainly not a place that would have been conducive to embedded planning. And, and I worked there for a couple of years doing zoning enforcement, you know, basically serving in the role of a code enforcement officer, but as a planner, you're still solving problems on the ground. But in that geography where I had originally started off, it was much more the case where they wanted you to be like a pseudo cop. And that's not something that uh, was going to work when I made the move to South Central LA when I, when I moved over to Florence Firestone. I knew Florence Firestone and South Central didn't need any type of pseudo policing from um, a planner. It needed resources, it needed services, and it needed help. So I worked in the county role for almost the entire time as a zoning enforcement planner. I was out there on the streets enforcing and implementing the code. I did take that opportunity to do some additional work in advanced planning. And I was able to take my street level experiences to help write new ordinances that were informed by the everyday realities of people's lives. And I was also able to work on other plans and policies that were informed by everyday lives of community members. So I can tell you right now, the Florence Firestone community plan is something that was finished in large part because embedded planning helped us get over the finish line those types of relationships that we had, that was what we needed to get that 10 year in the making project done, right? It had some starts and stops, but embedded planning was one of the things that helped build the connections to push it past the finish line and get it done. And, and when it was finally approved at the LA County Regional Planning Commission, the planning commissioner for the second district, which covers South Central LA, called it a model for future planning initiatives countywide. Um, so I did that for many years and I did some side work while, while I was there um, that helped extend um, the, the work of the county and advance the work of the county, again, driven by the relationships that were formed through embedded planning. And after ooh, about 13 years, I think, I decided to make a switch and it was in the pandemic. I decided that I needed to take on a new role that would be even more open and intentional in my advocacy. I wanted to take on a role that allowed me, that encouraged me to be a activist planner. I can say right now comfortably, um, having been removed for about a year from my previous job, that it's really difficult to be an activist in government planning. It's not impossible but it's difficult. And one of the things that I had to do to cope is, you know, when I would run into problems with management, when I would run into problems with um, other planners who were not down with my praxis, I remember that I was serving as a mole within the system. So I was, you know, an agent of government, but I was also going out there on the streets, bringing information to the people that sometimes government didn't necessarily want the people to know, right? Like, if, if you were skillful in filing a public records request, maybe you can find certain things, but it, it, you don't have to do that when you have a community resource who comes to you as an embedded planner. But that was really difficult. And towards the end, my time there was um, 
a bit unpleasant. And I, I just realized that I had to find a role that allowed me to be an activist planner. So in the, in the beginning of the pandemic, um, around February, March, I actually started looking for a new role and I found it. I was able to move over to an allied organization that I used to work with when I was at regional planning. That organization is called the Los Angeles Neighborhood Land Trust. It is a nonprofit community land trust based in LA that develops parks and gardens exclusively in working class communities of color. And it develops those green spaces in partnership with the neighbors, with the community members. I've been in that role for the last nine months and it's been fantastic. It's been a new outlet that is fully supportive of embedded planning and directly advocacy-based and action-based as a planning and design nonprofit. Um, and it's been a place for me to you know, further develop the idea of embedded planning. And one thing that I've been able to do is to demonstrate that you can still do embedded planning in the time of COVID-19. When I moved over to the LA Neighborhood Land Trust at the start of the pandemic, one of the questions was, well, how do we do street level practice? Praxis, how do we do street level praxis if we're quarantined? So, you know, in the beginning, we embedded ourselves in a lot of Zoom meetings to be safe. Um, but once we started coming out more, we started to see that there was a way to still be on the street level. And, you know, we took inspiration from the justice uprisings that we saw this summer after the murder of George Floyd and so many more Black Americans that have been killed by the police. We took inspiration seeing all of us be back out there reclaiming the streets in honor of Black Lives, saying Black Lives Matter. We did all that safely. We put on PPE, we kept the distance, we had our masks. That let me know that we could still be on the street level doing our praxis. It just required a little bit more kind of awareness of, of your own space and being, being careful. So when the time came to start doing community engagement again at the Neighborhood Land Trust, we got back out there and we were doing park engagement in the park. We, we, we embedded ourselves in the parks that we were working on to do renovations when we were doing our community outreach. And the only difference was we had PPE, we had face coverings, we had hand sanitizer, we maintained a distance and everybody out there did the same. So what I can tell you to um, to the question of can embedded planning still happen in COVID? Yes, it can. And my work at the Neighborhood Land Trust has proven it. What yeah, I can say I'm... now is, oh, go ahead, Jay. No, 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 you got it, you got it. Oh, I was just gonna say, uh, I'm, I'm also at a transition point. Um, that's something that we can certainly talk about today, but um, I'm at a transition point with my work. And... Um, yeah, I, think, I guess I'll leave it right there just to kind of let you uh, see if you had any follow-up questions before we get to that transition point. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, I, I think from, like I said, this, this growth piece is huge. And I think people need to hear this, um, folks who are planners of like, listen, it's working in government, working in the private sector, all of these things is that your career is an evolution of, of, of you and your passions. And so, you know, when you come in and you can be effective in a certain role and you see that I don't want, I'm not being as effective as I, as I believe I can be, it's okay to make that jump. It's okay to, to figure out that next, that next lane um, where you can make things happen. And so with, with Jonathan, that's, it's, that's a beautiful thing because you spent some, some folks would say, you know, comfort will beat out that passion, right? But if you're passionate and you're on the ground and you're, you're really thinking about how I can make a positive impact in community, um, you're thinking about ways, you're, you're continuously thinking about ways how I can do that, right? And, and when you get limited, it doesn't mean that you stop doing it. It means that you figure out a different avenue uh, of and, and more gaining more control or gaining more opportunity to lead in the way that you've seen that you can. And so I just want to tip my hat to you, brother, for, for taking that leap. Um, during a pandemic and, you know, working with an organization that that aligned better with your values and your passion at the time. And then now 
as you said, you're at this, this, this next stage of your career where, you know, I think this is going to be, it's a beautiful season. If I could just say it, it's a beautiful season, uh, you know, in 2021 to, to, to bloom and to blossom into, you know, the, the person that you want to be and the best planner that you want to be. So listen, I, I think it's an opportunity for you if you want to talk about it as to what that transition next is looking like for you. Um, because listen, brother, I, I, I can't wait to support you in that transition. So, you know, if you want to share. Thank you, Jay. This is really exciting and also scary. So it's, it's exhilarating and terrifying all at once. Um, just to go back for one moment, thank you for, for acknowledging that this is also part of growth as the planner. Um, I needed to grow and I moved from the county after more than a decade to the nonprofit world, which is a big jump. I went from a, a department of over 200 people to a, a nonprofit of four. And I went from working only in the unincorporated areas to working anywhere that has a community color, a that is a community of color that needs parks and gardens. So, you know, I've changed scales, I've changed sectors, and it was all part of growth. Um, and that is also informing the next move that is happening very soon. Uh, I will be ending my time at the LA Neighborhood Land Trust. Got about a week left because I realized something, like you said, 2021 is going to be the year. I realized that I needed to continue growing as a planner, as an embedded planner, as an activist, as an advocate, and as a person, as an educator, um, and as a mentor. What I decided to do is carve out my own path. This is something that I've been thinking about for years now. I just wasn't ready to do it. But now, you know, 2021 seems like almost like a gift. I mean, we were on the verge of fascism just taking over with that last election and the events of January 6th. Um, and we didn't get that. So I started, I just see this year as a gift. And if not now, when, if I don't do this, it may never be done. What I'm going to do is start my own planning shop. And I'm doing that so I can have one umbrella under which I can do all of my writing, my speaking, my publishing, my educating, my mentoring, everything that I've done as a side hustle for many years. Now I want to do it as the main hustle. Um, so I'll be transitioning to a new role very soon. Um, my handle on social media is City Planner, spelled with the one and a three. So C-1-T-Y-P-L-A-N-N-3-R. City Planner with lucky number 13 in there. It's a, I guess a brand you could say that people have come to know me by. And it had good brand recognition, I realized when a couple of years ago, when I was at the county, I was leaving my building, crossing Hill Street to go to Grand Park to get a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And it was a mid-morning, it was a crowded day, it was a nice day out, sunny, a lot of people in the crosswalk. And as I was crossing the crosswalk, a young lady who was walking in my direction said, hey, you're a city planner. And I was like, oh, hello. And we just kind of said hello and I kept walking and I realized at that point, this at handle that I have, city planner, it, it, there's some brand recognition there. So I never forgot that moment. And when I started thinking of the name of, of my new shop, you know, I ran through a couple of things and everything just sounded like it was um, unoriginal. And I, and I just came, I came, I came back to the realization that everyone knows me by city planner. So the new company is going to be called city planner company. And you can connect with me either on my main handle or on the new company handle, which is spelled the same way and just with the additional CO at the end. Um, it's, a, it's a brand recognition that I think um, is, is ideal for what I'm going to be doing. I'm basically going to be doing my own thing as a planner, as an activist with this new umbrella um, organization that I formed. And... Um, It'll, it will allow me to do my work kind of unencumbered and continue to grow and to be that advocate, to be that activist, to be the embedded planner, to be the mentor, the educator. 
and to no longer have to sort of worry of whether bosses are going to support me or whether I have to get permission for something. I, I, I realized I just, I need to have the freedom to, um, to do my work. Now, that being said, I do want to acknowledge something. I acknowledge it is, it is, it takes a certain degree of privilege to kind of carve out a new company in a pandemic. And, and I do not ever want to diminish that. So, you know, I, I want to make it very clear to all of our listeners out there. I of course realize how risky this is. And um, uh, this is not to diminish any of my past work to say like, you know, I was, I was just dissatisfied. So I kept moving on. No, this is more about growth. And this is absolutely about being intentional in my work all with an understanding of the, the difficulty of doing this in a pandemic. So thank you for your support. And I, and I have to pay respects where respects are due. I got inspiration from you. Streets are planning, what you do here, the, the company that you formed. I got inspiration from Black Spaces and our homie D Powell. I got inspiration from Gigi the Planner. And I got inspiration from Tamika Butler here in LA. If I hadn't seen y'all do it, I probably never would have had the courage to do it. So thank you. Yo, brother, man, that, that's, that's major, man. I appreciate that. And definitely shouting out our friends out there who are making these things happen uh, in, in their respective cities and, and regions, um, because we all inspire. I'm inspired by you, you know, and that's the, that's the thing. It's like a mutual circle of inspiration. Uh, you know, I don't know, just coining that phrase right now, because essentially when we need that as urban planners, I think as much as we are champions for connections uh, within our cities, we, we don't exactly always have the best of connections within our profession. And, and so having and establishing these connections and being intentional about our growth is something that needs to be shared more often. And because, you know, a lot of times folks like think you're leaving a job because you're dissatisfied uh, when, in, when in actuality, you, you've outgrown the space that you're in and you're looking for an opportunity to, to continue to grow because that's what experts do. Um, one of the things that, that always frustrates me about planning and something that I, I consistently say to mentees and to organizations that I speak to is an expert is not somebody who knows everything. An expert is somebody who is committed to trying to learn as much as they can in their respective field so that they can provide those resources to the communities that they serve. And, and you're an expert, my brother. You are. You're an expert in what it is that you're doing because you're committed to the growth within a profession so you can be a better resource in your community and wherever you're serving. And so, you know, to Tamika Butler, to Gigi, to Dee Powell, uh, to, to Justin Moore, to, you know, all of these folks out there that are Byron Nicholas, to all of these folks who are out there making a difference in their community, that's what an expert is. And, and they're continuing to do that work. And so I'm, I'm grateful to, to call you a brother in, in this field. And, you know, I can't wait, you know, to, to work with City Planner uh, Company and, and, you know, making some things happen in a community near you, because that's exactly what we need. We need more connection building. And you're certainly doing that where you are, brother. And I, I appreciate your work. Thank you so much, man. Like we said, 2021 is the year. Mutual circle of inspiration. You, you need to you, you need to claim that hashtag and <laughs> and make it yours. That's, <laughs> that is a, that is something that we've talked about in other words, right? We've talked about kind of having a network of all of our up and coming, newly formed, um, independent planning operations that we've talked about here and now we have a now we have a name for it the mutual 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 circle of inspiration that's exactly what it is thank you so much we'll, we'll try to work that out man we'll try to work that one out because uh you know it, it's it's but again when we as we move forward in this field and to those who are, are listening um what we need to be more intentional as as planners and one of the things that is also intentional is is ownership uh generational wealth building like it takes intent to do those things and what what brother bell is doing right now is being intentional about that and what i've tried i'm trying to do and encourage all of you who are listening where whatever platform you have whether it whether it's the written medium whether you're doing podcasting whether you're tagging whether you're djing whether you're you know rapping about it or whatever you're doing 
be intentional about that process and be intentional about ensuring that you own what, what you're talking about in, in ways that will benefit you and your community for years to come. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I, I just want to talk about before we before we wrap up today is, you know, this the, the, the idea of embedded planning and where it goes in the future. Um, and so with this new umbrella uh, and what and, and business that you're that you have. I know you're, you're talking to students in, in LA and UCLA coming up fairly soon. I want to say what up to them. Uh, you know, the streets of planning, man. We love what you're doing out there. Ananya Roy, everybody else out there. Listen, I big fans of, of the school. Like, yo, y'all doing it. Um, and, and I'm inspired by your work and those students who are learning like I am. I'm sincerely inspired because I know they're ready to make a difference. So you're talking to those students coming up soon. Um, and you're going to have a message to share with them. And then you're going to have a message to share with the with the community at large. Um, what are you What are you planning to talk about with with UCLA students? And what are you planning to talk about and sharing in embedded planning in 2021? Are you trying to take it national, international? What's up? Let the people know. Well, this is finally the finally the time that that I can say it and and, and share it. Thank you, and then I love that it's this platform. This is this is the platform where I wanted to share it. Um, I'm excited to let everybody know that I'm launching a new virtual speaking series. This will be the first ever standalone presentation public talk on embedded planning. In the past, all of my talks on, plan on embedded planning have been in the context of other topics. So I've talked about embedded planning in the context of informal housing. I've talked about embedded planning in the inspiration I drew from embedded librarianship but there's never been a standalone talk. Well, now this is it. It is going to launch appropriately back home at UCLA Urban Planning, where I came up, where much of the DNA of embedded planning traces back to courses with Ed Soja and Jackie Levitt. It will be the first of more talks to come. A couple are scheduled, but we have the opportunity now to schedule even more and with the online video conferencing environment, we can do it anywhere. So the first one will be next Thursday, February 25th, 7 p.m. Pacific. And it is at UCLA Urban Planning, sponsored by the new Praxis Socialist Abolitionist Planning Group in partnership with Planners of Color for Social Equity, a group that I was a part of when I was a planning student at UCLA. It is called Embedded Planning is Praxis. And it will be the inaugural virtual talk that will kick off this speaking series. And I'm basically gonna tell the story. Streets. The second one will be at the University of Utah, Department of City and Metropolitan Planning, April 8th, 11 a.m. Pacific time. And it will be a very similar presentation, tweaked a little bit for University of Utah. And that is part of an equity series that the University of Utah has in their planning department. Again, this is the first of just a couple of more of the virtual talks that I wanna start doing on embedded planning. I want to tell the story, its origins. I want to tell what it, I want to show what it looks like. I want to inspire the future generations of planning students as they become emerging professionals. I want to talk about the benefits. I want to talk about some of the criticisms that I've heard. And I want to give takeaways so that urban planning students and community members have an idea of why this is a better way to plan and how you can start doing it as a student and as a community member. Well, look, well, we look forward to supporting you um, in that effort. And you know, you need the streets of planning and in any capacity, just holla at your guy um, and we'll do what we need to do. And, you know, as far as getting you out here to, to Michigan, where I'm at, um, Detroit, Talman College over at University of Michigan, we can make those things happen and we will. Let's do it. Um, because I believe that this is, this is definitely an area of planning that needs to be raised up more and championed more. Um, I know folks are like, well, you know, I do some of this already. It was like, well, now you have a, a name for what it is and you have a resource 
that that of folks who want to support you and what you're doing in your community and what your neighborhood is. Um, and so, Jonathan, listen, man, I, I certainly appreciate you making the time uh, to be on our show. And I definitely, definitely thank you uh, for bringing embedded planning to the forefront uh, for folks to, to understand better and to learn more about. Because I think moving forward, our, our communities need this. Um, the culture needs this. And for us to, to be a better represented uh, in all we do in urban planning, I think this needs to be one of the key components to, to that in our transition professionally, academically. I think this needs to be a part of the academic canon in some sort of way uh, moving forward. So brother, I, I appreciate you and I tip my hat to you again. Congratulations on your company. As Jay-Z says, it's like, you're not a businessman, you're a business, man. When they see you, they see yes. the business, you know what I mean? And so yes. I, I am, uh, I'm extremely excited for you. I'm, I'm, thank you, Jay. I'm looking forward to all of our collaborations in our mutual circle of inspiration. Thank you yes. so much. Yes, sir, appreciate it. Um, and everybody out there, you know how we do. Listen, anytime, anywhere, any place, the streets are planning.